0: Whitney, it's always good to join you, man. I'm happy to be here, and I've been looking forward to doing this with you on and seeing it on my calendar. Always excited to
1: talk with you. Just disappointed it's not face-to-face this time, but that's all right. Yeah, this I have to do, and, and I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy, and I know your calendar is probably very full like mine, but you know, the listeners have probably heard of you before, and I hope they have. They should have heard you on show 166-WS166. And learn more about you and your team and some of your background there. But just a little bit about uh, a multifamily unit owner, syndicator who specializes in FHA and agency finance projects, has raised since 2015 nearly $60 million in equity. And I think it's uh, over 65 now. Just happen to know that. Acquired over 2,500 units and grown Barrett Asset Management, also known as BAM, to a best-in-class vertically integrated asset and property management firm. His companies manage well over $200 million in assets, comprising nearly 3,500 units. Ivan, thanks again. You know, just from your experience, your expertise in this industry, you know, I really wanted to cover just the economic outlook and us dive in a little bit on what that looks like and your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I'd love to. Just a uh, fair warning, if I get going down a rabbit hole too deep, you know, don't, don't be afraid to just pull me back out and whenever you want to cut me off. but I Sounds good. I do like talking about this stuff. I do a fair amount of economic research. I consider myself a wannabe economics nerd, but I tend to look at, you know, what's going on behind the scenes and, you know, what's happening at a global level before I drill down to the hyperlocal level that really matters when it comes to buying apartments or any type of real estate.
1: Before you get going there, I'm going to stop you just to say, like, you know, tell us where you do your research. How do we find this information that you're going to tell us about?
0: Oh, you know, it's not that easy. I read a lot of books on different opinions, you know. So if I just got done with reading a, a book about the sky has fallen and, you know, America's going to print itself into oblivion, then I turn around and I read a, an argument taking the other side that America's going to have another great 100 years of uh, economic prosperity. I usually look for the middle area there
1: where the truth is on a daily basis. So you're careful not to read just one-sided information, sounds like.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you could watch Fox News all day or watch something else all day. And what I don't do is I don't really watch the news outlets. I don't watch the talking heads. I read business news. I like to read global news. Uh, And then I pay attention a lot to what's going on from an economic improvement and infrastructure improvement uh, in my own backyard. And I watch interest rates pretty closely. Monetary policy at the central bank level, to name a few things that
1: I, I like to keep an eye on. So, economic and infrastructure. Can you elaborate on, you know, somebody's listening to it. what in the world is he talking about?
0: Yeah, they, people usually wonder what the heck I'm talking about when I start getting into this stuff. At the local level, I like to keep up to date on economically what's happening with jobs, companies moving in or out, right? And then infrastructure, airports, roads especially highways, just any kind of new projects that local, regional, state governments are proposing and or starting. So for instance, we're buying a deal right now in southern Indiana, and there's a a brand new federal highway that's been under construction in that area, and it's about to cross the Ohio River, right? So that's a hyper-local example of a major infrastructure improvement that speaks well for the uh, long-term prosperity of a given market. We look what retailers are doing, right? If Chick-fil-A is moving in across the street, that's a good thing. Costco's moving in across the street, you know, that's the real good thing. All this real estate stuff is very hyper-local, but at the same time, you got to pay attention to global and national trends in our business of income property, what's going on in the world and, and how it impacts interest rates, which can impact so many factors of real estate is keenly important to keep an eye on.
1: So what else? I know you mentioned interest rates a couple times. How do you know what they are? I simply use the Bloomberg
0: app and look at bond rates. Most of my loans are going to be somehow tied to the 10-year U.S. Treasury, which is a bond. So that interest rate really sets policy. And that's what a lot of spreads are tied to when it comes to financing Fannie, Freddie, and HUD loans. So for example, at the end of last year, you know, interest rates started creeping up quite a bit and got up to the 10-year, got up to 323. We watch everything down to three decimal or three spaces to the right of the decimal. It gets pretty granular. And today, they've come crashing back down where I think I looked at it this morning. It was 208. Interest rates have come down 120-some basis points almost, which is really good for refinancing and really good for long-term debt. can also make it tough to find a good deal because there's lots of money out there chasing good income. The world, in fact, Whitney, is swimming in money right now. It's flooded with money. Every major economy, all the big you know, G7, G20 countries are all essentially easing, which is a fancy way of saying they're stimulating their economies by printing money. And so you've got all this money out there that's chasing yield. What does that mean? Is You've got all these dollars, people want to make a return on that money. So it's Flooding into different asset classes, including multifamily, which in some ways is a benefit, but in some
1: ways makes
0: it tougher as well.
1: A lot of great information right there. Wow. You know, and so not only are you looking at the local market you're looking to invest in, but you're looking at, okay, the global economy, what's happening with these specific countries or, or maybe larger countries or maybe not just larger ones, but what is happening globally? And maybe, t- you know, tell us how does that affect your. You know how active or how aggressive you are your team is at looking for deals
0: yeah, so my thesis is that interest rates can't really rise all that much in the near term for many many factors, but basically interest rates will continue to stay low, and what that does for me, if I can find good opportunities in this market to create or to manufacture a spread between what somebody can get by putting their money in a 10 year bond and what they can get with me by taking some risk. If I can keep that spread where I need it to attract investors, then in some ways there's an unlimited amount of capital at my disposal. The problem with that is I'm not the only guy that knows that and I'm not the only syndicator or deal sponsor in town. So while money is cheap, capital is cheap and plentiful, it also creates these bubble type scenarios where lots of players are willing to take a lower return, which equates to a higher price than I'm willing to take. So again, in order to find a deal, I have to kiss a lot of toads. I have to look at a lot of assets to find one that I can fit into my acquisition criteria box, which is a pretty tight box to fit into. And uh, oftentimes in this market, I'm getting blown out on price, sometimes by millions of dollars.
1: So people are outbidding you because they're willing to take less on the management side or in fees, whatever that may be, they're willing to take less or...
0: Or they're willing to take a less return where, you know, we so what's happening, a great example right now is there's a lot of syndicators that are, in my opinion, it's all just opinion here today, but in my opinion, paying way too much for C plus, B minus value add assets. So much so that the price translates to maybe a 15 or 16% IRR if everything goes according to plan. Well, I don't think that's a big enough return to take that risk, right? So I have to find other ways of getting deals because the value of taking the risk and not only getting the asset, but executing on a value-added strategy, which may in a normal market be 20% IRR net to my investors. Now it's a 15% IRR. You and I have talked about this, but it's why we go after larger, nicer assets with less downside, is because we can lock in that 15% return on investment without taking that value add risk that some of the newer operators are attempting to take.
1: Wow. How has your outlook changed as far as the markets you're looking in specifically? Or has it changed? You
0: know, the, we're pretty lucky here in the Midwest. We certainly haven't seen the booms that some of the other areas of the country have. Uh, but we also haven't seen the major busts. So for example, Indianapolis, my home base, it's basically had one to 4% rent growth annually for the last 30 years. And only two times in that 30 year period was it essentially zero. So we are lucky to be here and it plays very well into our thesis of buying into these markets that are steady tortoise versus hare type rent growth, which over time, still carries a lot of value, but also greatly reduces the amount of risk to the asset underperforming.
1: Tortoise versus hare rent growth. But like you said, it's not as risky. Yeah. In my opinion, you know, you're know, you not going to see this
0: big pops, but you're also not going to see the bust either. And there's a lot of boom and bust markets out there that could already be busting. We don't know.
1: So you know, some people are very vocal about hold all your money, save all your money, don't buy any real estate right now. What's your take you know, about that? Or- yeah,
0: yeah. so there's a saying out there that the general fights the last war. And most generals that fight the last war end up losing the next one. So what's going on is there's, you got people that are speculators, right? Robert Kiyosaki called them capital gains versus cash flow. They're not buying on cash flow. They're waiting to buy it on a discount and sell it for more than what they have in it. The problem with that is that the next crash very very likely won't be like 2008. 2008 was by many accounts an 80 or 90 year super cycle event that hadn't happened basically since the great depression. And those types of crashes don't come along very often. Now the you know the guy trying to sell you gold or ammunition or you know a prepper starter kit wants you to think that the next crash is going to be worse than the last one. That's probably not the case. History shows that and the uh, the economy shows that. So if you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for some big correction so that you can buy assets on the cheap, you're likely going to be waiting a lot longer than you think. And most of that, again, goes back to just how much money out there is looking for assets right now. You can read several different studies on this, but by some estimates, there's a trillion dollars of cash sitting on the sidelines looking for a place to be parked. Some estimates say it's A couple hundred billion just allocated for real estate deals that are on the sidelines right now, looking for a home. Apple's got hundreds of millions of dollars in cash sitting on its balance sheet, maybe billions. I I haven't looked at it in a while, and my memory is not that good. But you get the point. There's a lot of money sitting out there. So when when there's a lot of money looking to get in the market, that floor of prices is set pretty close to where we're at today. As things roll over just a little bit investors start stepping in and buying those assets, which sets a very low floor. Whereas in 2008, a much deeper long-term cycle where you had complete capital markets freeze up, there was no buyers to step in and buy assets. Today, you've got tons of buyers waiting to step in and buy assets. So by definition, it's very difficult for you to get much of a discount on those deals right now.
1: So the next... Are you projecting a specific time or, you know, I hear a lot of people say next year, you know, uh, this is so up in the air, right? But are you projecting a specific time for a a downturn or is it just we're playing our model? We know it's safe. We know we're buying good assets. These are the ways we're protecting ourselves. So if it happens, it happens.
0: Yeah. When anybody tells me that the recession is going to be at a given time down the road, I immediately discount everything they're saying. There is no crystal ball. If people knew when recessions would hit, there'd be a lot of wealthy people out there. If I knew when corrections were going to happen, I'd, we'd be doing this with me sitting on a beach in Thailand right now. There's just no way to predict that. Humans, by, by default, are terrible at predicting the future because we only look at past events. And Nassim Taleb, one of my favorite authors, you know, has shown us that you just can't see what you don't know is coming. So for us... You know, we look to figure out how not to be the turkey. And what I mean by that is the turkey's got a really great life. You know, they're fed, they're housed, they've got shelter, they're very relaxed, very happy until it's Thanksgiving Day. So our model is how do we not be the turkey, right? And so for us, you know, the reason why we're not doing retail and office and industrial and all this new construction that people are getting into it's simply because of the risk on the maturity of the debt. Multifamily gives me one of the, the most superior debt product menu of any asset class in all of real estate. Meaning I can go out and I can lock in my interest rate for 10, 12, 15, and in the case of HUD, 35 years if I want. You can't do that in anything else. So in, literally by default or by definition in any other asset class, outside of uh, multifamily, you are beholden to bank debt, which you know maybe you can get seven-year maturity, maybe 10 if you pay a big interest rate increase for it. But the same goes with real estate operators, the day you close on your bank loan, you're in technical default if the bank decides you are. And I got a front row seat to that in the crash and vowed to not be in that position ever. So a lot of good assets, go to the auction block because you couldn't roll over the debt. Well, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, and FHA, they don't have those shareholder, what have you done for me this quarter mandates that banks do. And so we essentially stay away from bank debt and lock in that interest rate and push out that maturity risk way into the future, which greatly, greatly reduces the risk of capital in a given deal.
1: Nice. Tell us, you know, how are you protecting yourself for, you know, when it happens or whatever? A, a little more in depth as far as the, the deal itself. Yeah,
0: it really comes down to the asset, right? We're pretty keen on Midwestern markets, like you and I talked about. We like a lot of diversified employment. We're pretty snobby on school districts, right? We want all these aspects. And then, and then the rental ban, which here in the Midwest, you know, we're 800 to maybe $1,200 a month. So in today's standards, If you work at Starbucks, you can rent from us, right? If you're a single parent household and you want to get your child into a good school district and you don't want to take on the burden of owning a house and be a debt slave to somebody else, maybe you've got an aging parent as well. You know, I present a pretty affordable option. So we're not low income, but we certainly stay away from luxury. We're more in that middle of the market and our assertion is is that in a recession, we've got enough of a value proposition to where people are moving out of luxury and they're, they're moving into our units. We're pretty set on being a company and doing deals that could actually do better in a recession, right? Because like we were talking about, we can't predict when it's coming, but you and I both know winter always comes. There's a seasonality to it. Nobody knows how long or, or short it's going to be, how cold or how mild it's going to be, but it always comes the season of life, right? Game of Thrones did not coin that phrase. That's been around a long time. Winter is coming. And so
1: if we can model our business to perhaps do better in wintertime, then we're gonna have a lot of fun. Can you elaborate on that? You know, uh, how to model our business so we'll do better uh, in the downturn?
0: <laughs> I don't think we have a long, long enough time here for that. you know, there's no secret sauce to it, but we reduce some ability to get cash out. We reduce some of the upside by putting in long-term debt as quick as we can. That's a big part of it. And, you know, it's not easy, but we focus on workforce housing. You know, some of you guys out there putting in granite tops and stainless steel appliances and you're trying to compete with A's, you're going to get whacked at some point. I look for areas where we can raise rents, but I don't want to compete with the luxury guys. I don't, I've never put in a granite countertop anywhere. We watch to stay in the cohort. We want to stay in the the market segment that we want to be in and we stick to our knitting. And as an entrepreneur, gosh, man, I have to wear blinders a lot and avoid shiny objects and squirrels syndrome. And if I can stay disciplined and do that, that's a lot of the battle.
1: Are there any special ways you're stress testing deals as you're underwriting to make sure that, okay, if this, you know, something does happen in the next year or two, that we're going to be fine?
0: Oh, yeah. We're stress testing debt coverage. We run occupancy sensitivity and cap rate sensitivity and look at what the return on investment is if cap rates go up, if occupancy goes down. We can go out there and get debt at a 125 coverage, but most of our deals, we're looking for that debt coverage ratio to be north of 150 just to have
1: more padding, right, in the deal. No, oh, I like that a lot. The debt coverage ratio of 1.5? Yeah, I mean, the deal do, I'm, I'm doing right now, the average debt coverage ratio on a seven-year hold is 1.8. Any other ways that you stress test that maybe we wouldn't think of or any other like, okay, it's got to do this, like anything at all that says, okay, this is not going to be our deal because it didn't do this? Nothing comes to mind off the top of my head. That's a good question. We're just trying to build our business like yours, Ivan. <laughs> I would like to know a little more about how you are educating yourself so much. I know you mentioned a couple things, though, a couple ways and any good books that help us to understand, you know, how the soccer works better than maybe we already do.
0: Yeah. You know, I put them all on my Instagram feed. I, I just stacked them up and took a picture of them. But I would stress if you want to be at this a long time, start reading financial history. So uh, some of my favorite ones, you know, it's a pretty deep rabbit hole. It gets a little conspiratorial at the end, but The Creature from Jekyll Island, which is all about the history and formation of the Fed. That's a great book. I think Robert Kiyosaki's got a new one out called Fake, which I think is just a, a redo on a book called Conspiracy of the Rich that he wrote several years ago, which I'm in the back of that book, by the way. Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb is a great book. It's basically all about things that benefit from chaos. Uh, Gosh, Naomi Prince, her new book called Collusion, all about what central banks across the globe are doing right now to keep the party going, which she's got a pretty damning conclusion about them, but I think they're doing a darn good job. And Man, that's 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 a good question. There's a lot of good books out there. You just got to take it all with a grain of salt because most of those books, they're trying to sell you something, right? They're trying to get you to buy gold or they're trying to get you to think a certain way. Yeah. I mean, there's another great book out there called Unleashing the Second American Century. It's all about the forces in the United States that'll propel us for another hundred years of growth. It's got some pretty good evidence in there. I think the United States for all the all the damning rhetoric we get right now is in a pretty good position. We got a lot of resources. We got plenty of water. Plenty of people want to live here. We got a strong military, and we get to hit the reset button on our government every four years. So I think, think we've got a lot of good things going for us and a, a lot of bumps in the road, sure. But are we going to crater or break apart anytime soon? I don't think so. You know, Rome was a republic for 500 years, and then it was a declining empire for another 500 years. So if if Rome can go a thousand years back then, I think we can
1: surpass that
0: time frame with modern society.
1: I appreciate that. Ivan, anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with as far as the economic outlook?
0: You know, just read a lot from a lot of different sources and, and please do not turn on CNBC, Fox News, MSNBC, or CNN if you really want to understand what's going on at the highest levels of power. There's some great books on that subject, and you can really learn about where fiat currency comes from and how it's made and central banks and what their policies are, how this whole economic machine works. Ray Dalio is another great guy to, to read and understand. He's got another book that came out, The History of Debt Cycles. He's got some really good stuff on the economy. He's got a great YouTube video that's maybe 30 minutes long on how the economy works tons of good information out there. I think what stops most people is they just look at it from a pretty shallow perspective. People need to take the time to do a deep dive in subject matter that affects their business.
1: Nice. Ivan, fabulous show. Lots of great information. I really appreciate your sharing with me and the listeners and tell them how they can get in touch with you.
0: Yeah, sure. Spell my last name correctly. I'm easy to find. B-A-R-R-A-T-T. B-A-R-R-A-T-T. Got a website, Ivan Barrett Education. That's for the high net worth investor that wants to learn more about me, my team, and our thesis. IvanBarrett.com is another site. And then our corporate site, which has got our portfolio, our track record, and and basically uh, all the assets we currently manage. That's BarrettAssetManagement.com. Of course, you can get a hold of me at 317-762-2625. 317-762-2625.
1: There you go. Not many people put their number out. I hope you'll call Ivan. Thanks again, Ivan. And uh, I hope that listeners reach out to you. I hope you all will also reach out to me at lifebridgecapital.com. Also join us on the Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, and we will talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for
0: listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.